2: And now it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hello, welcome to Inside Conan, a very, 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 very important Hollywood podcast. (laughs) Oh man, I can't emphasize that. We
1: cannot overstate the importance.
2: I'm Mike Sweeney,
1: I'm Jesse Gaskell. And we're going through Conan's illustrious television career.
2: Without his permission. Without his permission. <laughs> Pretty much.
1: The unauthorized biography. Yeah. This is like the Ryan Murphy version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. I just started watching that um, Pam and Tommy show. I I think oh. I had assumed that that was a Ryan Murphy joint. but Oh, it seems like it would be. It's not, weirdly.
2: Is that a multi-part because you can't, there's no way you could do their story in one in episode. In just one episode. Oh, no, my I God. <laughs> he does a lot of drumming. She does a lot of running. That's multi-seasons.
1: At one point, my boyfriend and I looked at each other and we were like, wait, what What band was he in? I mean, I know right. that he's in a band, but I just right. don't know any of their music at
3: all.
2: <laughs> all I ever think about him is he wrote an auto, a memoir, and it, we got an advanced copy back at Late Night and it. Everyone zeroed in on, it might've been the first chapter where he talked about the importance for men who are sexually active to eat a ton of celery <laughs> because-
1: <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah.
2: Because he said it is critical to to, to... Uh, prodigious semen production.
1: Production? Oh, okay. Production of semen. Which is a good thing?
2: Um Oh. <laughs> For him, it was well. He knew he'd be. It would when it's going to be in He's movies with your wife.
1: Quantity over quality. He it was like
2: he was, and <laughs> so I learned a lot. I learned about the the celery, and I learned that there was supposed to be a lot that I, I didn't mm-hmm. know about the quantity aspect.
1: No, I didn't either. <laughs> I,
2: I would assume everyone would be happy with less. With less,
1: exactly. Right, less, That's kind of. Yeah. yeah, that seems ideal unless you're really into right. impregnating people. I'm
2: sorry to to veer veer off into that area, but...
1: Why would you ever apologize... You're right. ...for giving people life tips like that?
2: It's true. <laughs> I, I guess my big question is, how do they cover that in your the show you're watching?
1: I, I, they haven't gotten there yet. Really? Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> you don't... Just go back but and watch... But I'm sure they will. ...the episode and see if he's just chewing... He's eating chewing on celery sticks. Yeah, he yeah. drinks
1: a lot of Bloody Marys. <laughs> yeah, do I sound different, though? Because um, I'm I'm somewhere else right now.
2: Yeah, where are you?
1: Well, I mean, wouldn't you, you like you to know?
2: Okay, okay. Nice try. We'll I'm not game. just going
1: to let it slip out like All that. All
2: right, okay. <laughs> um,
1: no, I'm in another hotel room.
2: And you're working on the same movie. I'm
1: working on the same movie, but I'm in a different place now. A different okay. city. All right. So I'm going to start a new set of clues.
2: Okay. The last place, so I don't think you gave city hints. You gave...
1: That's a good point.
2: But now you're in a city. So that's a clue.
1: Well, that yeah, maybe that's enough of a clue.
2: Um,
1: the city speaks for itself.
2: Well, I'll give another clue.
1: <laughs> Here's another really helpful clue. Okay. This city has a, a river.
2: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> the city was built on a river, unlike... <sighs> Most other modern cities.
2: So that narrows it down to 400, mm-hmm. 4,890. I
1: think of just about every city. Yeah. Every metropolis.
2: Even LA, which is on the ocean, has a, a river.
1: LA has a great, LA was built around a river.
2: Which they cleverly <laughs> filled in with cement.
1: They did. But then there's this spot of the LA River that, where the cement didn't right. take and it eroded away. And now nature has reclaimed it. And it's very right. really beautiful.
2: Right, and now they're trying to extend that. Yeah. When I saw uh, Terminator 2, you know, there's that crazy chase scene down through the culvert.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of Grease. They do a <laughs> car chase through the culvert
2: too. Oh, they do? I, mm-hmm. I never saw the movie Grease.
1: What? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Hard to believe. I,
1: <laughs> I know, you're such a- Rush out. Musical head.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love musicals. Um, I don't mind musicals. But yeah, and then I move here and I'm like, wait, that's the LA R- River. Yeah. What were they thinking? Now
1: there's this, yeah, there's this gorgeous stretch. I went kayaking along the LA River last year. Oh yeah, you could do that. Yeah.
2: Was it worth it or was it a It total... was so
1: worth it. It was really oh. fun. And right. um, there were actual like little rapids It was kind of thrilling. Yeah.
2: Okay. There were rapids? (laughs) There was white water.
1: Yes, for real. It was, no, I'm not kidding. You have to do it.
2: Did they have a fan or something to make the rap? No. Okay.
1: It's a rushing river and it's trees and you see a lot of egrets and herons and stuff. Uh,
2: I'm talking about Los Angeles.
1: Yes. That's what I'm talking about too. Down in Frogtown. Oh, Frogtown. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, I saw that. I guess I remember doing it on the Gowanus
1: mm. Canal
2: in Brooklyn. <laughs> so I thought,
1: yeah, did you see body parts floating?
2: No, I didn't do it. My wife did it, and mm-hmm. uh, she literally—I think they went in the back of like one of those Italian social clubs, uh-huh. and all the all these guys were out in the back, kind of just glaring at them, like, "What the fuck?"
1: Yeah, are- <laughs> gentrifiers. <laughs> this is uh, our canal kayaking,
2: right? Oh, yes. You're in a city on a river. I'm in a city on a river. Well, I'm going to keep giving hints about my location. Okay. <laughs> uh, the nearest dry cleaner to me has a signed headshot of Kate Flannery and Dee Schneider. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that's a hint. See if you can figure out where I am as well.
1: I love that that's still a thing because that it's such a cliche, but... People are the signed still, headshot. Yeah, the signed headshot thing.
2: Yeah, I, I know. Well, especially in... Well, the, the name of the cleaners is... Uh, I think it's called Celebrity Cleaners.
1: Oh, there we go. So yeah, showbiz is their thing.
2: I think their thing is everyone who works there was a former celebrity.
1: So that's a good place to go after. Yeah. You know what? This has been great. <laughs> but let's get to our guest.
2: Yes, please. Let's get to our guest. He was a writer for Conan. Yes. From 2000 to 2008, and uh, Mm -hmm. a big part of the show, he appeared in so many different sketches, played a lot of great characters on the show, and he came up with ideas for some of the iconic sketches on Conan.
1: Yeah, and he was the writer who went along with Conan for the classic old-timey baseball remote. So we're going to get to talk to him about that.
2: Because people are always asking about that remote. It's yes, so many people's favorite Conan remote, including Conan. Yeah. And <laughs> our next guest remembers all the details of how that came about mm-hmm. and how it was made. So we're excited to talk to him and catch up with him. Please welcome the hilarious and talented Mr. Kevin Dorff. Well, it's great to see you again. Hello. Right on. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Kevin, when you hopped on, you immediately had a Sweeney impression that I hope will come out at some point during the Uh,
2: podcast. uh, See if I can do it if he's into it. Oh, my Uh, God. (laughs) If you do it, I won't even have to talk. It would be fantastic. (laughs) It's
4: not, but like none of our, whether it's Sweeney or me or whatever, like, or any of us really, like, we don't really have impressions. We just have versions. Yes. I know. They're not impressions.
1: It's an homage.
4: Right, right, right. And it's not it's not the way the person sounds, it's the way we hear it. Exactly. So that's the important part. Yeah, yes.
1: cuz your impression only comes out when it's bad news is being broken.
4: <laughs> right. I don't have a Sweeney giving good news. Like I don't have a a chunk of
2: Sweeney congratulating me. I don't have one.
1: <laughs> Just Sweeney telling you it's cut.
2: <laughs> We've been we talking about Conan's 28 years on late night and You were such an integral part of the aughts. Like I believe you started in two thousand, right? And and yeah, so we'd we'd love to talk about your time at late night, including starting with how you came upon the job. I started on September eleventh of two thousand. Wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) A date that means nothing.
4: <laughs> I've been working on trying to be on the show for probably about a year. Right. Written a few submissions because there had been a, a, a little bit of turnover in 99. There was some changes. People were moving. Andy had gone off the show and Tommy Blacha, I, I think, also left the show around then. And there was just some turnover. And it was just a, a, a quick period of like that. So I had a chance to write more than one submission. And I think the third time I had that chance i i got farther than i expected and after uh, maybe just not very long about maybe a week or two after i left second city i'd already i had been there for about four years that's where i knew john glazer from because we had both been in the same cast a few years previously so me and john glazer were already really good friends and that's also where i knew brian stacked from and, and oh, stuff great. so i had left second city and then just just so happened that that there was an opening and I, my submission was successful and I was hired in, like I said, just to write about the beginning of September of 2000. And it wasn't very long after that, that the that, that head writer, uh, Mr. Groff right. uh, was uh, moved on to do other stuff in LA and then so right. became our head writer. So,
1: Well, Kevin, that you, you brought something up that, I don't know if we've talked about on the podcast, but I remember at some point finding out that I think most of the, Conan writers, when I was there, had submitted more than once. Mm-hmm. So we didn't mm. get hired the first time we submitted and kept trying. And I think that that's kind of important for people to hear because sometimes people get that first rejection and they think, okay, well, never mind. It, I'll it just wasn't meant to be. Sell insurance. Yeah. Right. You just got to keep trying.
4: If there, yeah. If, if there was anything I could say that would be to sort of adjust it for people who th- who are listening and think about submitting to shows, I do have one thing I would think, which is you it it won't it likely won't happen the first time you submit to a show but if you care about the show and you think it's relevant to you and you see a way into it if you get that first submission doesn't work for you you just, you could kind of in a way double down on your own voice and see if you can still uh try another one later on where it, your your voice is even more present and maybe even and this is a weird paradox but more more of your voice more of the show at the same time yeah like try to match see if you can match the key that they're in and also like this is I think an important thing which I think helped me but I don't know was also make that whatever your submission is try to make it a little funkier than what they do
1: so maybe not something that they would put on but something that right is aspirational
4: you oh, okay we pull back from that we won't to that in particular thing. But
1: yeah, I think maybe adding a new flavor, but something that still is going to go well with the dish. So it's not going to totally throw the show off. Right. To have you, but it is going to bring something new that they don't already have.
2: And, and by new, it, it maybe it'll surprise them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we might not use this, but this, I could see this being pitched or tried
4: or whatever. Right. It'd be cool and it's best version to see that happen we'd like that would be funny and made on a laugh or whatever but mm-hmm. it's to the submitter i would say one more thing is like yeah it's you want to be more you in the next one and more them in the next one at the same time that's not uh-huh that's not easy to do but that's it's just not an easy process so no
1: i had read that your one of your favorite pieces kevin to produce was old-timey baseball oh, yeah. which w- is a sketch that a lot of people still really love and has gotten a ton of views online and has had a life Mm -hmm. beyond when it aired.
2: I think that's like everyone's favorite, like when everyone says their favorite remote Mm -hmm. piece, field piece from Late Night, that one is at the top of the list. And I, including, I believe it's Conan's favorite.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes sense.
2: And uh, people really would love to know about the genesis of that bit. I don't remember the details. Amazing, because you were there the entire time. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know more than one exactly. thing to think about. Exactly. <laughs> but but how it came to be. Some
4: fella had reached out to me, you, and some other writers, Mike, about two years ago and asked us to write about the different bits and stuff like that. I wrote a right. email to him and they published it without correcting for grammar. And uh
2: <laughs> Well, it sounds like the internet.
4: <laughs> but I wrote it quick because I wanted to get it exactly as it was coming out of my head. And I just sent him sent it off without proofreading it too much. Uh-huh. And he left out all the part about all the parts about who gets the credit for this idea. So I want to uh, hopefully do not please do not edit this bit. Our brilliant stage manager Steve Hollander, edit, <laughs> hold for edit.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry, go. Ahead. Our
4: brilliant, hyper competent, incredibly patient, kind, wise, funny Steve Hollander. Yeah, brought a news clipping in from some Long Island newspaper about the Beth Page um, baseball recreation, 1860, 1867 baseball, 1864 baseball uh-huh. recreation. He brought that in. He showed oh. it to me. Ah. And I immediately took it to Mike and pitched this idea of going, of, of Conan going out to play with them. Really? And it happened really fast. He, Mike went into – Conan's office about it within an hour or so. And probably less than an hour after Steve had showed me the clipping, we were already talking with Jason about <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what about what how we could get this to happen because we had a sort of a Monday off or something coming up where Conan was going to be available for a remote. It was coming up soon, too, within a week or mm-hmm. less than 10 days or something. So it came together quick. And the people who were really Great about helping getting started. We were, we're of course Hollander because it was it was just, just clipping. That's great.
2: I, yeah, and then, I didn't of know course
4: that. Sweeney helped by pitching it to Conan, and Conan went for it. And then Jason Chlemy really took put things into gear. Talked to the people at Beth Page, and got he's it our to field happen. producer. He's great. Yeah, his he... name hasn't come up yet
2: in your <laughs> oh, we talked <laughs> about yeah, yeah. yes, but okay. Each episode needs to stand alone. You're right, man. It's got to stand alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So I didn't he mean did to great, interrupt, yeah. but. But Jason back then was producing all the field pieces. And then Mike asked me uh, who
4: would be a good person to take along. And I was like, well, an avid baseball fan would be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so Mike picked uh, uh, Michael Gordon, who, if there was an avid <laughs> baseball fan <laughs> on the show, that would be the, uh, he would be the most. Yes. So that was a really great uh, choice, too. And of course... The experience again, I wasn't. I think we did this in 02 or 03, 03 maybe, uh, do you know? Maybe 03, something like that. I wasn't, I was still fairly new. So having someone like Michael or right. to help me do it was be
2: great because was we produced a lot of stuff. He's
4: very organized, very much a list maker and very thorough, very organized in a way that I wasn't. And that was a good mix. And when we got to Beth Page, it, things really, uh, I, I can tell you more about that in a minute if you have questions. <laughs> but that's it, started with Steve Hollander bringing in that clipping. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: that's that's great. Yeah. Michael Gordon is so baseball obsessed. He's an Astros fan because he grew up in Houston, but he actually follows all of their farm clubs and keeps oh, track wow. of players who they draft and who are moving up through the ranks. So I'd say fairly hardcore baseball fan. Yeah. And, <laughs> a, and a
4: staff that had a lot of baseball fans that yeah. he, was, he was the superlative. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. Hollander is a big baseball fan, too. Giant Mets fan. And it's just great to see that that was going to happen. Yeah. There was a feeling going in that we were going to have a really good time. Because mm-hmm. here's another bit of, this is deep background. Welcome to Deep Background with Mike Sweeney. <laughs> with Kevin Durr. There had been a sort of a long time there had been this circulating concept, uh, Civil War recreation. Right. And that had circulated forever. And is very oversubscribed to the Civil War in general. So yeah. I think he had a discomfort with it, uh, you know, uh, kind of in, in a way, because it was sort of like, well, it's a gigantic catastrophe. <laughs> like the Civil War is a huge catastrophe, and it's not easy to be funny about. Right. Especially if you kind of like know about it.
2: He eventually got over that. But yeah,
4: I know. <laughs> but This was a long time ago. He's yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah Tender yeah. about the thing. Yeah, I think yeah. that there was... Reluctance to do anything that was just centered on that.
3: Mm -hmm. But
4: this brought the unholy matrimony of baseball and the Civil War into play, which ended up being a huge boon. And on the subject of costumes, you know, one of the first things that came up in when me, Michael, and Michael spoke about it and Chalemi was that he would make a transition into being one of the players. And that was that was brought about that costume and the hair and makeup was brought about by Deb Shaw and Bruce. And, uh, and it was done very, very well. Oh yeah. Uh, all the departments were fabulous.
1: Yeah. Perfect.
2: I like when you go to hair and makeup and it's like, we need mutton chop sideburns and mustaches, some choices. And then they would bring in like <laughs> literally 30 different mustaches <laughs> to choose from. Yeah, there was
4: no exaggeration. They had the great choices right away. Easy yep. to make. Yep. The baseball uniform was fantastic. Uh, perfect. Everything was just, yeah. was just came together beautifully. And yeah. like I said, we it wasn't like we weren't sitting on this for a month. Like we got out no. pretty quick
2: within yeah. three or
4: four or five days.
2: The second, like you're saying, it was a perfect you know combination of the Civil War and baseball. And the second Conan heard the idea, I think he he pictured himself in a ridiculous costume like that. Mm-hmm. It was just like let's. Do it immediately. Like, he's already (laughs) channeling the character.
4: I was just making reference to that, I think it was before we started, but it's when that person, when the principal feels prepared, or even if they're not, but if they feel that they're prepared, then they are. Yeah. The Dick Nixon quote is, when the president does it, it's legal. And I think that's true of (laughs) these remotes. Like, when the, if Conan is feeling it and can see his place in it, and this is the thing that I told the guy a couple of years ago when he was writing that uh, article, that retrospective piece was when he, if he can see himself working in it, if he can see himself arming himself with something to do, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Then you're you should be fine. Like that's all you really need to go. And then, as it turns out, we discovered someone there that really made that work. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. And I was wondering, had had Chalemi or anybody talked to any of the people there in advance? I mean, did you kind of have an idea of who the characters were that were there?
4: Pretty generally, he, Chalemi had done all, most of the, uh, the, the, I mean, all. Let's get serious. He had done all of it. Sweeney didn't do this. Uh, like, no. So Chalemi, <laughs> and I didn't because I wasn't given anyone's name or phone number. So Chalemi really uh, kept his cards very close to the vest. Oh. And he spoke to the people at Bethpage, and he had a lot going on. And then he scored their glossary, which Conan uses in the remote a glossary uh-huh. of, of, of 18th century, oh, terms. Of 19th century yeah. terms and, and slang. And he scored a copy of that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: uh, he kept that one in his pocket. Didn't bring it out to the last minute. I never knew of its existence. <laughs> and it was wow, great. had all it's these like,
1: surprises. That's great. Yeah,
4: it was, uh, it was really great. And, um and, you know, it, it was just kind of good because everybody was working in, in, in their own way, in their own, you know, well-motivated way to like, Make it good, and then and oh, meanwhile I was working on something that went nowhere. Uh, oh no! Yeah, like it was great. Uh, I asked um, Pierre Bernard to uh, come up with some big art cards that had com- complicated. Thomas Nast type political cartoons on them uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that would have been really really topical in 1864.
2: Pierre is our graphic, one of our graphic artists. Standalone
4: Pierre for everyone, <laughs> standalone uh, <laughs> episodes, standalone episode. So Pierre very patiently and very artfully recreated all these in, incredibly top heavy, you know, complicated, yeah, indecipherable things, right? You know of. 19th century politicians, you know, feed, boss tweet, right? Boss tweet, put, <laughs> uh, putting a bag that says, you know, bonds inside of a machine that says, you know, whiskey ring, right? You know, like it's just like all that right, stuff, right? Right. And super complicated. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. You can ask the baseball players what these cartoons
2: mean, make them stick to their pretense that they're living in the Civil War era. Yeah,
4: can you explain what's going on? Oh, yeah, right. yeah, can you explain mm-hmm. why uh, Clement Vallandingham is standing on top of a snake that says liberty? or whatever and i brought the art cards with me to the ballpark and everything (laughs) and they just stayed in the van this is like
1: you didn't want to derail everything to be like hold on hold on
4: oh no i wanted to do it (laughs) oh but kona was like no we're not stopping off for your dry fest we're doing this (laughs) (laughs) interrupting all the mojo we've got
2: going I know I guarantee the first person you saw when you returned to 30 Rock was Pierre going, how'd the cards go? How'd the cards go? How'd it go? You know Uh, know what I said, too? We
4: never used them because that's like, why lie?
2: (laughs) They never left the SUV.
4: But it's a really also a great example of I'm doing my thing and I'm really motivated. I'm like, I've made art cards full of Thomas Nas cartoons. This is going to be great. (laughs) And no, like, like, again, because Conan already saw his route into this. And then we came up with this incredible happenstance of this person.
2: Right. Yeah. And that would happen on a lot of remotes where we'd prepare all this extra stuff. It was almost like to shore everyone up, like, well, you know, we can always do this with the art cards or we can do, you know, I don't know, we made a 20-foot baseball bat or just mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on what the remote was, mm-hmm. I always remember literally, sh- it was like shedding an exoskeleton as you went. Like, we we're just like, <laughs> what about this? C- Codan and be like, no, no. no. He just bat all these props away. <laughs> you, I, I, for a moment, you'd think about all the work that went into making them, but it was just right. like.
4: But that but that right. relates to the general the kind of the modality of the show at the time, which is we weren't right. really comedy writers. We were option writers. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And and we would load up with all these options. Yep. And that gave Conan the security to make the choices he wanted to make. Like, it, I don't, right. that didn't give him the security. Right. It supported it.
1: Well, no, but knowing that those cards were in the car. I'm sure helped him.
4: He was perfectly secure without my art cards, but (laughs) but knowing that they were there and being able to say, no, not that this is part of the success of that bit.
1: But then you met a pretty girl.
4: (laughs) The
2: big surprise.
4: This is standalone Jones says, here's the biggie. (laughs)
0: Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is
2: in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.
4: When we first encountered the ball players and spoke to them for a while, it wasn't long before we noticed that there were people there. Some of them were interns and college students that were working at the Historical Society. Some of them were not. Some of them were locals. But oh. there were people there dressed as baseball fans from 1864, and they were hanging out watching the proceedings. And when that got noticed, that's when Sweeney and Conan went off to have their own conference. Uh, and we were the rest of us including you know me michael Gordon and jason chalamet and the others were left standing there wondering what was next and then we came back and <laughs> we're like we're going to go talk to those people now and that's when conan discovered now the quiet consumptive
2: widow <laughs> consumptive <laughs> who would not Break character and oh wow, and was so fantastic in character. It was just, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just shocking because I mean, she was somebody that you would have written as a comedy writer to be there, but she right. just pre-written her own
2: yes bit she knew what we needed more than we did
1: yeah. And, she, <laughs>
2: oh, yeah and he you know conan's eyes just like you can literally see it on camera his eyes just lit up <laughs> she kept <laughs> to, like talking you know he started mm-hmm. faux hitting on her he and, didn't,
4: yeah he didn't really know right off the bat
2: but right. once
4: he started talking to the girl the women right and then he got down just luckily, at the end of the line was her, and it just built up naturally to this person. That's a really—you're right. She was at the and end. Of- it was just lucky placement. It just took off into hyperspace because he saw the lane he wanted to use, which is I'm gonna hit on this woman now, and right, that right. motivated almost everything else that came after,
2: right. Well, she started talking about being married and... It just got... Every time she said anything, it got better.
4: Yeah. Because he's like, I want to go out with you. And she's like, I'm married. Yeah. And I was like, well, where's your husband? Yeah. At the war. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my God. And then... And this is, you know... this was is
2: like, I heard he's a coward.
4: Extra, yeah. Extraordinarily inside. But <laughs> we're laughing. I'm trying not to pick it, pick, get picked up on audio laughing so hard because Conan is literally like, character assassinating her husband for being a coward at the war. <laughs> and and it all seems so unbelievably real. It's so plausible that he would really do that. <laughs> he either knew someone that did that or he had done that already because it was so natural for him to attack this guy. And it was like, and he's belittling him That's to her. That's what his ancestors so, were doing. I know, it was so great. I was like, this... <laughs> is so much more, this is now so much more realistic and it isn't conceptual anymore. <laughs> it's just how
2: he works. Yeah. And where you kind of like, I was like, this is all great. And they haven't even gotten to playing baseball yet.
4: <laughs> Wait, no, I know. So don't. I yeah, was just like, okay. Wrong. Right, right. All the kinetic stuff was still ahead.
2: Right. Like Mm -hmm. when you're a writer, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of, and you know, you have to edit it. Yeah. You kind of stand there and you're kind of counting. It's like counting beans. It's like getting the funny moments and trying to get critical mass where you're like, okay.
1: Well, especially when you knew you had to get Conan in the costume, it was like, okay, there's got to be a certain amount of business we lay down and then we're going to, he's going to change clothes. I'll never
4: remember this, but he had a great quote about this very phenomenon, which is on a remote with Conan. You have to know how much gas you have in the car without a gas gauge.
3: Mm. It's like
4: your gas, your thing on your car is broken. It doesn't work. You have to know how much gas is
2: in the tank. Yeah. Many times we called AAA. (laughs) (laughs) We ran out of gas. Yeah, but when
1: you run out, you get to go home. So.
2: Well, that's true. That's good and bad. It's a long (laughs) long ride home. Going home when you know you didn't score is not Uh. a great ride home. It's very quiet in the van, especially when there's, like, actors and everyone knows. Right, Uh, yeah. uh, (laughs) Someone tries to make a joke. Shut up!
1: (laughs) Well, so how much... Were you then finding in the editing room? Um, did you kind of have it laid out in your mind ahead how it was going to cut together?
4: The first version was long, and there was big gaps in it as far as laughs and stuff. And that was just because uh, Liz Gross was the expert uh, editor in this case, and Michael Gordon and I came up with a version that was very long. There were it was very gappy, and Conan gave us a really good, and Mike did too. Uh, Sweeney did, did too. Gave us really great notes about where to look. You know, on that second pass. And then, and then, I'll just get this out of the way real quick, super dry, sorry. But we did our second version and showed it on, a, I think, a Wednesday night after the show. We asked the audience to stick around and we showed them about a maybe 10 minute or so version or something of it.
1: I was wondering when that practice started, honestly. So I it's don't it's know interesting when it to started, know that
4: but you were already I was doing it. grateful to have it happen because... That it's a wednesday, great sounding board yeah that wednesday night was very valuable yeah i think michael and i went back and went straight back to work on wednesday night stayed very late and then worked on it a little bit more on thursday then we showed it to conan in his office mm. or in the edit bay one or the other i can't remember which and then we never showed it again even in rehearsal on friday because conan didn't want anyone to see it anymore until the show
2: yeah, he gets superstitious sometimes. It's just like, ah. Uh,
1: yeah.
4: You
2: know, it's going to lose
4: some
1: it of its soul. He doesn't want to soul. drain the laughs. Yeah. yeah.
4: And Tracy King, our producer, asked, so can not we see him rehearsal? It'll be fun. And he said, no. No cookies until Christmas. That's funny. <laughs> and so,
2: you know when he really loves something.
4: Yeah, yeah so he must he have known. He's like, yeah. That he was getting protective of it was a good sign of his yeah. enthusiasm for it, but also yeah. it was it was it was it, it just ratcheted up the stakes, Yeah. right, swings Right. It just really ratcheted up, but, but it was really a, quite a winner when it showed. So, oh god, was really
2: mm-hmm. good. well, I remember going to Jesse's question about find you know finding stuff in the edit room. There was one moment or one real highlight of when they were actually playing the baseball game, and I. If I remember correctly, I think we're all like, "Oh God, I hope we got that on camera." Like, there's a lot of those moments, don't you think? When you're editing, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, that was really funny. But is it is it on the? Sometimes there's things you didn't even know about that are on the footage that are great. Those are fun discoveries. Oh, I got but... Details aplenty on that. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But the one I'm thinking of is uh, involving the airplane. Definitely, and we
4: um, are. Crew that day was Jason Munoz and Gene Huelsman, and they caught the plane, the low flying plane coming. Oh,
1: that was in out so of, funny! Yes,
4: in or out of uh, JFK or whatever, fr- mm-hmm. they right. caught that, and it was mm-hmm. in the middle of Conan haranguing the players. So right, his reaction to it was really priceless, and he, you know, he got terrified and screamed and ran away. Yeah. But he was in the middle. Demon object. Right. He was really, in the, <laughs> he was in the middle of delivering a, a another haranguing to the players. Right. It's all, all that stuff was really funny, but this just, it was incredible that it happened. An incredible piece of luck that happened. And we had, like I said, a great crew there and they caught it. And yeah. And, yes.
1: Well, and Conan's instincts too, to stop what he's doing and, and immediately address the. Yeah. Yeah.
4: It was just wonderful. I and mean, There was never yeah. any doubt that that was going in. It's just the question <laughs> of how much harangue right. do we want to have before mm-hmm. the airplane. So
1: right, right. there was
4: an, a longish speech type harangue thing where they're sitting down and he's giving them the giving them the what for. Mm-hmm. I think we kept the joke about you guys play like veterans from the Spanish Civil War, which hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> which is a <so> hysterically funny <laughs> line. But there was redundancy in the in the speech because there was like he had called out more than one anachronism. So we had about three, maybe four anachronisms in the version we were working with. And we decided that two was the maximum (laughs) because we knew one of them was going to be the airplane. So we went with the Spanish civil war one and the airplane and the others were all cut. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was like incredible, like just incredible bits of uh, technical uh, success too. Like there were, because of our proximity to some airport, there were a lot of uh, audio problems, which were
2: fixed uh, by the editor, by Liz Gross, and they were really—it right. was great. It was just really something. Yeah, people don't think about that. There's often hours and hours of time spent just syncing up cameras or fixing a lot of times fixing the audio. Audio.
4: Mm-hmm. We were getting frequency hits on the on the wireless mics you know at the time and i think that's been addressed now since 2003 but at the time those were a real issue (laughs) oh wow we got a very bad frequency hit in the middle of a crucial interchange with Nell, and we needed liz to find conan saying the word red (laughs) somewhere else and we found and liz like stayed up all night or whatever and found another moment where he said the word red and it was clear and we use that to mask the bad one. Oh wow.
2: Yeah. These are such big victories when you're down in the trenches in the edit room. Like it makes or breaks a joke and it, it it's like a zero-sum game. You know what I mean? And that's incredible. When you're up against it, it's like that we used to do another trick. If Conan, if if a word got garbled or something on air, we learned a trick to go like in a sketch, a live sketch, or We'd go back and look at the rehearsal and find a lot of times we'd find the word there and drop it in.
1: We could probably just create a whole remote out of existing Conan footage.
2: <laughs> We've got another winner in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, of just the stuff
4: <laughs> of just drop ins. Yep. The whole thing is so great because again, Conan's investment in it was really high, mm-hmm. and his own vision for how to get through it was really clear. Mm-hmm. Luckily, these ballplayers were you know had a great sense of humor about it. They were serious enough without being offended, right? And yeah. they, you know, and the vibe was very, uh, you know, congenial there. And his insults were so stupid, no one could take them seriously, right? So that was great. And Nell was a godsend, of course, and yeah, and you know, so Conan had this love story to yeah. pursue, which right? right. Is really funny, right? And we. Even there was for one brief period, uh, you know, again, before the first pass and second pass, there was a song in there. Oh, John Rao, our fantastic, uh, property manager, Went to a nearby music store and found up uh, and picked up a banjo uh, <laughs> in the middle of all this and came back with this banjo is exactly what we needed. Wow! And Conan composed an improvised ode.
1: This really is every it's all the elements of yeah. Conan's personality. It is he, he, <laughs>
4: so he's screwing around the banjo, singing
2: a love song yeah. to Nell. We didn't use it, but. You know, got shot. Oh wow. Wow. It it's somewhere in the bowels of NBC. I'm sure they <laughs> destroyed those tapes. Yeah, so years you know, ago.
4: Art card stayed in the van, banjo, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> banjo got you. I mean, it was really like again, everybody was so on top of the game, but yeah, no one was more on top of it than than Conan. He was great. And right. He had such a he just had a great time doing it. We just yeah. was a blast. And Sweeney has a long standing uh superstition about saying we've got it uh <laughs> on the way home and oh my god the, never more than that day was he not saying we've got it <laughs> he was like i don't know it was pretty cloudy out there like he was putting yeah, yeah. everything you could hopefully think they of. hit record you never know a lot of those mics don't work sometimes like every uh, he brought up anything he could think of like there could be you know <laughs> there could be
2: civil war widows that are still alive and offended by this piece. There's a lot of things that can still go wrong guys it was he was so he was so not saying it was gonna work. well I, I learned to lowball things certainly to Conan like mm-hmm. if I thought something was really funny, I learned like you don't ever go to him and go. Don't ever say you're going to love this. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is funny. This one's for sure. Like he, <laughs> oh, boy. And so I
4: talked, you know, when I got out of the van eventually, you know, uh, when we got home, but I was like, boy, Sweeney's really not confident about uh, whether we got anything. And Gordon goes, oh, no, that's not how it works at all. And I was like, what are you <laughs> talking about? And he goes, he's talking it down because he thinks it's a win." <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm too tired to figure this these people out anymore tonight. I'm going to bed.
2: <laughs> it's probably because Conan was in the van, so I did. Yeah, it it's was, like, he was. Yeah, so I just would always temper. So he was just kissing during
4: Nixon all, the whole way home. And it was exactly. Just, it was all a whole psychop that I didn't right. understand. And I was like, man, I'm really bummed. I feel like we struck out. And, I'm like, and he
2: never resigned.
4: <laughs> and Gordo was like, oh, no, no, he's, it's good. That's that's why Sweeney was leaning on it so bad.
2: No, that sometimes it's scary when you have something where, you're like, ah, I think that went great. Editing it, you're like, you've got to get all the good stuff out. Yeah, I hope we put it together right. Like, that's yeah that's scary. Editing's don't, really don't tough because one thing yeah. could be
1: misordered and that right. would change the whole tenor of the piece.
2: Mm-hmm. Screening stuff for the audience, I think. Yeah, I think now I remember Robert Smigel was like, "Why don't we screen?" Cause he would edit uh, triumph remotes uh, Robert and, and whatever writers were on the bit. And I think he, sometimes it'd be like, you know, Conan would want them. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe it could be a little shorter, and, but Robert likes to really try everything out. And so I think he came up with, let's, let's just show it to the audience. And, and I think it was
4: an old SNL trick that they knew or something. I didn't know about it. Oh,
2: pretty sweet trick. Oh, like maybe you, you show something like the week before. Or show it to dress or whatever. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah. And all that
4: stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it all predated me. But I was like, hey, I was happy
2: for the, you know, for the gimmick of showing it to them. Because. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's such a great. A lot of times if the audience doesn't laugh at something we'd all love, you go, let's give it another chance on the show Mm -hmm. you know like you don't want to be a slave to whatever the audience likes or doesn't like but um it's such a great helping tool uh can i mention one of my favorite door victories and i'm curious about the disposition of a particular item the 2006 emmy awards Mm. conan challenged all the writers conan hosted emmys in 2002 and then he got asked to host him again in two thousand six. Okay. And so I guess having one under his belt, he was really attacked writing the show with gusto. And he's like, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna give just to motivate all the writers, I'm gonna give a gold coin to the writer who comes up with the best bit for the Emmy awards. And um, <laughs> and we're like, what? What, what
4: is this? A, a game gold show? Coin. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that. We were already, the the writing process for Conan hosting the Emmys was underway. Right. And the difficulty that was emerging was we couldn't find a live thing for him to do in the show, in the run of the show. Like we had a lot of pre-taped little bits. pre-tapes up the yin-yang. But no big live. But nothing live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the word had gone out, come on guys, live stuff. All right, so we'd had one meeting, nothing. We had another meeting. Nothing. Then we were called into Conan's presence, and <laughs> Ahab, like, <laughs> if for Moby Dick fans out out there, right? Ahab, like, he said, "I have now have a gold, a fifty dollar gold Cougarron. coin, which he showed us, a yeah. U.S. mint gold coin he'd gotten, <laughs> and it was still in its wrapper and everything. So it's like a fifth, you know, fifty dollar gold coin, and he's like, "I will give it." to the person that comes up with a live thing in the for me to do. So that's how it started. It didn't it wasn't just for the best thing in the show. It okay. was for a live thing. Yeah, uh, okay. And it was an intentional
2: ahab. Yeah. It was an
4: intentional thing about
2: he made ahab. a big dramatic show. He was being funny about it. It was but really funny. At the funny. same time. Yeah. But it was also a real challenge. Yeah.
4: Yeah, like his baseball manager, it was right. real and funny at the same time. Yes, like, yes. The way he talked to those baseball players was pretty much the way he was talking to You're, us. Right. So right. That's not, <laughs> that wasn't unreal. You're sending me out there with nothing. Yeah, I pay you for top chop and you give me chump rump. <laughs> you know, that, those are things that were said to us indefinitely in, in earnest.
2: Repeatedly.
4: So, yeah. So, so he says there's going to be a gold coin in it for you if you can come up with a live thing. Mm-hmm. Then, I pitched the idea of someone likable or even lovable. And I said, likable or lovable. We had, everyone had pitched a thing to do with Will Ferrell. Like that had already happened mm-hmm. a lot. Because it was just a thing at the time. Will Ferrell right. does this. Will Ferrell does that. Right, right. Because he was very useful and they were always game. So yeah. know, his name's coming up. So I pitched, we have a person, not Will Ferrell, <laughs> 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 but who's very well liked, but not Will Ferrell. Who has to sit in a booth that only has two hours of air in it. And then that will be the basis of our keep it short speech for the, for the, for the winners. Like, keep it short or that person runs out of air. And dies.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so funny.
4: Because I had said not Will Ferrell, I didn't have the right answer for the that person would be. But the room took it from there and everyone started throwing out names. And I'm pretty sure Dan Cronin said Bob Newhart. <laughs> and the idea of Bob Newhart with two hours of air and keep it short, or Bob Newhart dies completely and instantly seemed like the right way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Sweeney left the meeting, went, you know, 20 feet over down the hall to talk to Conan about it and came back within a few minutes and said, that's where we're going. So it was a yes right away. And then Conan, like, I'm pretty sure he drafted a letter on bonded paper yep. and like uh, FedExed it to Did you type it? Yeah, the whole like it was really very, very official. And he like he put the request in like bonded letter form and sent it to Bob Newhart. And uh, uh and, and <laughs> Yeah, he wrote
2: a, a personal letter. It was really,
4: really neat. And then uh, Newhart said yes. That's great. And so that's how that came to be. And then I believe Sweeney and Gordon just dealt with it at the I mean so I wasn't there for the Production week.
1: But did you get the gold coin?
4: I did. Yeah. <gasps> I was given the golden coin.
1: Did you have it appraised?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's right. You could look up the value of the uh-huh. coin every day. Because uh, <laughs> the value of an ounce of gold was, well, Turn no, it into say, an eight.
2: NFT. And
4: we lived, <laughs> you know, our office was like two streets away from 47th Street. You could go turn right. the coin in for cash any, at right. any time.
2: Yeah, And I kept it for several, several years. Because that was a great show, the 2006 Emmys. Yeah. It was rock solid, and that really was... I just watched someone put together all the Bob Newhart bits, because then Conan introduced a bit, and Bob Newhart's rolled off, and looking panicked. It's like, it's funny, because Bob's learning about the bit while Conan's describing it, and he has that great Bob Newhart face of like, oh, shit, wait, <laughs> what? I'm gonna... And then Conan... Yeah. Like, you know, t- an hour later does a bit where he goes, ugh, I'm sorry, that was a waste of everyone's time. And then it just hard cuts to Bob Newhart backstage in the booth. You know, just panicking more and more.
4: We were hoping to go back to it. Right. A couple of times. To, you and know, they especially did. Especially if someone was going long. Instead of just playing the music off, just show Bob. Yeah. It'd be a funnier way of getting it, you know, to happen. Yeah, yeah. But
2: also, you, sometimes you dip back into the well one too many times it starts to lose. This is the Sweeney I'm talking about, the guy that... Ah. No, ah. seriously, like, he's... He's, he's the, the
4: more you use, the more you lose. Uh, uh. You know, he's that guy. Like I never rhyme. And, you know, that's true. That's my whole thing.
1: Uh. Oh, Kevin, what was Conan's riff
4: on you?
2: Oh, yeah, we ask writers. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy.
4: Pretty simple. Um, my face is the kind of face you see on a kid on an old picture <laughs> of, of a kid of a kid from a street gang that threw rocks at Lincoln's funeral train. <laughs> <laughs> so that was me as a kid. And then when I grew up, I was a man eating lunch on a girder <laughs> high above rocks, right. New York City. Yeah. In the 30s. In the 30s. So I was right. a kid that threw rocks at Lincoln's funeral train, and I grew up to be a, a, an iron worker in the golden <laughs> so age. So he thinks
1: you're a classic beauty.
4: Yeah. So my face was that. <laughs> Which is kind of good because it helped me to do things like I would play Jesus on the show sometimes. And, yeah. And, he would, and Conan would say, just be that guy, like be that exact. That's the Jesus I want. The, the, the construction worker. I got to say. Uh,
2: pug pug ugly. Jesus was always on our show. And everyone who's played Jesus is great. But yours was kind of like a t- tough guy, Jesus. Well, that was, <laughs> was really funny.
4: Blue
1: colored Jesus.
4: Conan said, I love I love Jesus as a pug ugly. So like, <laughs> they keep doing it. Like as a plug, I'll go, like, keep doing that. Keep doing it. And I was like, okay, you want, <laughs> you want Bowery boy Jesus, you got it. Oh man.
1: Well, Kevin, we have to wrap up, but we have time if you have any other favorite memories that we didn't get to.
4: If you're listening to this to find out what it was like to be on Lena, I can just assure you that it was incredibly collegial. And we had a very sympathetic host that wasn't like, you know, gosh, darn it, Sweeney, go talk to those morons that I never talked to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and tell them to bring back gold. You know, like, this is junk. Like, put this stuff under my door and I'll see you at the Christmas party. Like, he was extraordinarily involved. Yes. He would wander in and out of our offices. He'd check with you on, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean in a goofy, you know, like, matronly way. He would check with you on the same level that anyone would check with you you know, like not how's it going or do you have my jokes ready? Right. But he would check with you the way another, any other writer would check. He was like, Oh my God, this, that, or the other thing. And it just sort of like, it was great. Cause like you knew that the the person you were going to be giving the comedy to was also a writer and
2: understood. Right. He had been in your position and he's literally coming in to commiserate with you.
4: Yeah. And he, and he would, and he would commiserate. And then he would sometimes yeah. know that he wasn't going to use what you did. And he knew that that sucked. And, but he also, you know, he knew what that felt like. That's when like, I showed Sweeney. him. Right. But that's when, exactly. That's when The Undertaker. No, I'm kidding. Soon would come in as the funeral director and say, hey. Right, right. But like, it was, it was, it was great because it made not getting on fine and it made mm-hmm. getting on fine. And mm-hmm. then it made when something would really work, like we, a couple things that we talked about, it made it sublime. It was really, it was wonderful. He's a great, just a great person to work for and with.
1: Oh, well, that's nice.
4: It's very nice. I
1: wish he would hear this.
4: <laughs> this is no, I, that's why I'm telling you. because He this, doesn't know about this podcast. I, uh, I'm, I'm not naive about this. I know for a fact he won't, which is what he makes it easy. <laughs> yes. it's, it's easy to do. Sweeney's sweating bullets right now because I'm being complimentary about, yeah. sh- about Conan. But it's like, there's no doubt he's not going to hear it. <laughs> like, he'll never hear about it. It was great.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's great. You know, we could have gotten into your great career you've had since Conan too. But yes,
4: do you want to know what's going to be on this spring? What? What? I'm gonna be um I'm gonna be playing a a, a character in um, White House Plumbers. Oh,
1: oh, fun. Uh,
4: which is going to be on HBO, and I think they're probably going to show it in the spring. Oh, great! And right, right around the f- anniversary of the Watergate break-in.
1: Oh.
4: So and this is about Amazing. the people that is this
1: a dramatic role?
4: Uh, it's a comedy. It's kind of or a comedy. comedy. Okay. done by some of the people that did Veep, and it's about oh the break into the. It's about G Gordon Liddy and Howard Hunt. And who are you? I'm playing Fred Jessup, who was a career foreign service agent, you know, for, oh, foreign wow. service officer in the United States. And I'm oh, that's great, I'm playing Fred Jessup, and my friend Dave Fascezi is playing James Jesus Angleton. <laughs>
0: oh my god, and,
4: uh, we have to deal with. Uh, Liddy and Howard Hunt for a minute or two in this movie—it's kind of fun.
1: Well, this sounds oh, great. that's fantastic. Is it a lot improvised or no, no, no
4: it's, it's it's scripted. No, it's
2: all scripted tightly.
4: The Veep people write great, uh, right? Yeah. in general, yeah, Like they just write great stuff. It feels right. like great improv, but it's really already—it's right, just, right. just brilliant
2: writing. Wow! Oh, that's great. You have a great scene in season two. Is it season two of The Mandalorian that? Yeah. But- Oh my god, so many people are like, "Have you did you see Dorf? Did you see Dorf?" And then I like I was like, "I don't have Disney Plus. Just can you tell me what happens?" They're like, "I can't. It's too good." <laughs> no one will tell me what the scene is. They're like, "It's too good. You have to see it." So,
1: so you still haven't seen
2: it. I haven't no, seen it. He's never oh, going to wow. see it, but he's excited that
4: it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that, this is, you don't understand no, no, no. what the it's win is <laughs> it's a
2: climactic it's a I've been told it's a climactic it's a big plot point scene and you're fantastic I'll right?
4: tell you something sweetie that John Farrow and I have known each other an awful long time like 30 yeah. plus years we were literally in acting classes together but oh way wow back when and um, he gave me the note which I thought was great for the scene which was it's Colonel Clink meets the 101st Airborne Division, <laughs> and that's that. That was our operating idea there. Oh, I
2: like that. It was a lot of fun to do. Okay, I'll get Disney Plus.
1: <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much.
2: Yes, a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Kevin Dorf, for joining us.
2: Thanks, Kevin. Man, does he remember? I just love all the detail yeah. of all the bits he How talked do about. How people
1: remember that stuff? Are they journaling a lot? I, I mean-
2: <laughs> Seriously. I, I don't
1: remember anything.
2: I don't either. And he had all, all these great details about yeah. um, the Emmys and uh, of mm-hmm. course about the old time baseball remote. Holy cow. That was a great walkthrough.
1: Yeah. I know that was fun.
2: And speaking, of the old time baseball remote. Yes. We have a special treat. We do. From someone, I have to say, we've been trying to track down, a lot of people have tried to track down Mm -hmm. for years now and just hit a wall.
1: And she was as elusive as you would expect. I think, you know, she's honestly been in character this whole time.
2: Uh, Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to live your life, I guess. I don't know, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking about doing it.
2: Our producer, Sean, tracked down Nell and spoke with her.
1: And it's actually her.
2: It's the real Nell. So without further ado... Here's now.
5: So, um, do you want
6: the long story or the short story? Let's take the long story. Okay. You might regret that, but we'll see. <laughs> um, I went to art school. I did, you know, writing and acting and drawing. And then I had to graduate and like figure out what was happening after that. So I went to the career office at that college and they said, you know, um, what do you want to do? What career do you want to do? And I actually nothing appealed to me um i wanted to uh, be close to life i think in some way and they said well that's not a career um but maybe maybe think about things that you would like to do for maybe six months come up with a list and bring it back to us uh so i did and i wrote down things like adopt a child um live by the sea write a novel time travel a lot of really practical things um (laughs) And then I graduated and there was no careers in any of these things, but um, I started looking on the internet as one does for time travel experiences. (laughs) And I came across an internship at Old Path Page. And part of what was promoted was that you could do this history internship. There was a history internship and an acting internship. And the history one was you could live there for a period of time and kind of become a character in the village, which very much appealed to me. I applied to both of them and somehow got both of them. So that's how I ended up there that summer. So you were living there during that experience? Not at the time that Conan came, but later on. Yeah, we got to stay there and like stuff around mattresses with straw and milk the cow every morning and build fires and bake bread. And yeah, it was very, you had to do it like a, you couldn't do anything that wasn't in accord with the time. So like the outhouse was the outhouse. No way. It was wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) And were
5: you the same character throughout the whole experience or were you switching off?
6: When you guys came, it was the very, very beginning of the internship. So we hadn't even started doing the research to develop the characters. So that character was just improvised for that day. Um, and the character that I ended up working on was kind of a riff on that character. Yeah. Who I was, who I got to be every day.
5: And were you aware of Conan at all prior to that shoot?
6: Uh, Not much. I knew I Knew his name. I knew he was on television. I don't think I'd ever watched the program. I still don't on the TV. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I knew he existed, um, but I didn't know much about him. What did they
5: tell you when they were actually coming to the village? Like, were you aware days ahead
6: of time? Or? I think it was just the night before, like the evening we were told that he might be coming. And then we might be like background.
5: And what was the energy at the village that day?
6: Oh, very much excitement. Yeah. People were very excited. And I, mm, do I say this? I'm not sure. You have to say it. (laughs) I don't care. I don't know if that was a like, I'm going to not care, like strategically not care because I don't want to care. Or if I really didn't, I don't know.
5: So did they just come take over with cameras? I
6: can't remember at what point in the day it occurred. I think it was towards the end of the day. I remember there being a buzz about it. And then at some point we were asked to come over because they were possibly going to film the um, baseball team.
5: And what were your first thoughts of Conan when you saw him?
6: It was marvelous. I mean, brilliant. Just so in tune with everything that was going on and able to respond to it. Yeah, I had, I had no idea what to expect. So that was just such a pleasure to watch. And you
5: have experience as a performer. What was it like performing with him like that?
6: I'm uneasy with the sentence that I have experience as a performer, but I love theater and I had, you know, studied it as a student. The sense of play and responsiveness was just very joyful.
5: Yeah. I mean, you killed it and you felt so uh, perfectly like in the character. Was that difficult to stay kind of in that reality?
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think you can see there are moments so that it's like, oh, that's. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing because he's very funny. And then try to try to get back.
5: <laughs> well, you can tell he immediately was like, he got that you were on the same wavelength and kind of got what they were doing there. Uh, have you gone back and watched the clip?
6: I watched it this morning because I thought, well, then maybe, maybe Sean's going to ask me something and I, <laughs> I should know what happens. I have watched it. I've watched it a couple of times. Um, I will say that my family members have all watched it
5: significantly more than me. And how did it feel watching it?
6: Um, it's very funny. Uh, when I see myself, of course, there's this like uh, cringe, but he's very funny.
5: And I mean, you were so funny in it as well. Are you able to see that
6: now? That Perhaps I have a blind spot in that particular
5: area. <laughs> what is your, uh, you said your family has seen it a few times. What do they think of it?
6: I, I think they get a lot of joy out of it. My mom occasionally will quote it.
5: <laughs> what does she quote from it? This
6: one's for you now. <laughs> yeah, that particular line. <laughs>
5: That is. (laughs) And did you ever get to play baseball with them?
6: No, but that's probably for the best.
5: (laughs) Did you have any other favorite like things you would do in character? Like Mm. you mentioned, obviously the outhouse.
6: Yeah, (laughs) I don't want to say the outhouse was one of the favorite things I did in character. I loved, (laughs) um, I loved baking bread. I have this big beehive oven. You kind of have to crawl in. So it always made me think of Hansel and Griddle. Um, You have to crawl in to light the fire. Um, And I love milking the cow. And I love the lamplight. I don't know how to describe this, but I'm frightened of fire, as is reasonable. So I was a little uneasy at first. But we have oil lamps. And that's like that it's night and dark. And you carry around the oil lamp. And the shadows are amazing. During the daytime, the guests would come and I was often in the general store. I can't remember the name of it, but I was, the character that came out of that was this woman from Ireland who cleaned the general store. So I would spend much of the day cleaning. But then sometimes people would come and I would, I had this little tin type of my son who, you know, came from that story and I would, I would tell them about him. And then I would tell them that I missed him because I wasn't with him and that that I used to tell him these stories at night and did they want to hear one? And I would tell this story called The White Trout, which I can't really recall, except I think it was a woman who turned into a trout and then (laughs) there was lots of blood involved. And I just, yeah, I loved being able to tell them that story and draw them in in that way. And it was fun. It's nice to be in another world.
5: Was that something that attracted you to this, uh, that whole experience or?
6: No, it's what I love about everything. I mean about writing and about acting just getting to be other people and build other worlds with other people there's nothing like it did you watch when
5: the remote aired on tv did you watch it that night
6: i think i did i was staying with like very distant relatives and i think they wanted to watch it and i watched it and then like very quietly went upstairs and said nothing
5: (laughs) (laughs) did they did they like it that night they
6: did they did did you like it that night (sighs) I can't recall. I suspect I was self conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
5: mean, it, it is so great, and you see, in all of the comments, are people saying like, "Nell stole the show." Everyone is saying you're the MVP of it.
6: Yeah, I don't. I don't look at comments.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. And did anyone ever recognize you from being in it afterwards?
6: I think at the bus stop, I would take the bus to Old Page, part of part of the way, and then I would walk part of the way. Yeah, I think people at the bus stop recognized me, and then. I don't know how many years later, but I'm a twin. And the man that my my twin ended up marrying recognized me or recognized her from that. No way. So
5: it's kind of cool. Wow. Well, I mean, it it was so, so great. And we're all so happy that you agreed to do this. It sincerely was like the the best part of that sketch.
6: I have no language to respond to that. Thank you. Thank you. There's a bow that I would make.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, is there anything else, any other memories that stuck out to you from that day that you want to make sure we hit?
6: I remember the song, which I think is not in there, really. So when he plays the there was a whole song that he just improvised that included my name many times, I think, (laughs) Um, when the camera wasn't on. The thing that, that stays with me is how gentlemanly he was, just really kind. Did you have any interactions
5: with him or any of the producers out of character?
6: I think Conan asked me, you know, what I'd studied in school. I don't know if I was entirely out of character, but there was, there was some small conversation.
5: Thank you so much for doing this. Such a fun story, and you
2: did such a good job.
1: You're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, that was awesome.
2: Thank you, Nell, for doing that. That was great.
1: I am... <laughs> So glad that our producer, Sean, was able to find her.
2: Yes, thank you, Sean. He
1: did some detective work. He
2: did. He had to time travel, apparently, to find her.
1: (laughs) And instead of killing Hitler, he decided to get (laughs) the outro of the show.
2: You know, killing Hitler is a tall (laughs) order.
1: Well, you kind of figure someone else is probably going to do that if they find the time machine.
2: Right. And so then you go to, you know, plan B, which is find Nell.
1: Yes, which is fine. No. Yeah. Yeah, but I love. I really do like imagining that she's, you know, she's gonna go back to, I guess, churning some butter and right tending to the chickens.
2: Yep, following the baseball standings for eighteen sixty eight now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, talking about uh, who's going to succeed Grant as president. It's a great, <laughs> great time to live. Be alive.
1: Uh, but hey, if you all want to leave us a voicemail.
2: You can leave questions from Civil War up to the Gilded Age. Any questions <laughs> about that period of time.
1: Yeah, maybe Nell can answer them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can call us. We've got a hotline and it is hot. Let me tell you.
2: 323-209-5303. Three, two, three, two, three, three.
1: Or you can always send us a regular old email, insideconanpod at gmail.com. And hey, if you like the show, you can support us by rating Inside Conan on iTunes, and leaving us a review, which we love to read. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When they're nice. Our producer, Sean, just pulls out the nice ones.
2: Right, of course. Yes, we live in a bubble.
1: Because I cannot accept
2: criticism. Oh, my God. Which one of us is more fragile? That's a discussion (laughs) for another time. Well, thank you to Danielle Del Giudice and Kevin Dorff. One place we're not fragile is when it comes to expressing our emotions about you.
1: That's true. Right? As long as they are reciprocated.
2: Yes, and Sean carefully goes through them to find- And
1: it's them out, yes. Only
2: the reciprocated ones. So
1: on that note- Yes. We love you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell.
2: Produced by Sean Doherty- our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne.
1: Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco.
2: Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton.
1: Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis.
2: Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials.
1: You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts.
2: And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best.
5: It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan.
3: This has been a Team Coco production.
0: Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places, but well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile.